Well, welcome to episode 76 of the Ski Podcast, and thank you for joining us, listener. Uh, Firstly, as always, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the uh, podcast. And in this episode, we're going to have quite a bit about Switzerland. We're going to be finding out at surfing, skateboarding and snow drifts over there. We're going to be looking at ski holiday trends for next winter, and there's plenty more as well. Now, if this is your first time listener, or even if you've been listening to the show for a while, don't forget we've got over 100 episodes you can catch up on. And I had a little check. I saw 70 of them were listened to last week. You won't be alone in your uh, binge listening. Now, my name's Ian, Ian Martin, and today I've got two special guests joining me. Uh, I'm in Brighton, and somewhere else in Brighton, we have Cathy Rankin from Pierre Vacances. How are you today, Cathy? Oh, I'm very good. Enjoying the sunshine. Uh, and also joining us, we have from La Clusa in France, we have a voice that long-time listeners of the show will know very well, former uh, presenter of the Ski Podcast, Jim Duncan. Uh, hi, Jim. How are you? Um, hi, everyone. Uh, nice to be back on the podcast, obviously. Uh, let's start off by asking the question I always ask my guests. Uh, when did you ski or snowboard last? Cathy, would you like to tell me? My last ski trip was our annual girls trip where we went to Baguera in Spain. It was our second trip to Baguera in Spain. We came back at the beginning of February. And then after that, all my trips were cancelled. How was Baguera? I've actually been there myself a long time ago when they had a one-seater chairlift. Well, we absolutely loved it. In fact, it was our second girls trip there because it ticks our boxes absolutely spot on. You can fly into Toulouse. It's a short transfer. And then the skiing's really good. The off-piste is pretty untracked most of the time which is great from our point of view both years we've been we've had excellent snow and on top of that very important on our girls trip they have a great moe bar (laughs) right and i believe also don't the uh, spanish royal family go there does that still happen i believe that the king is now a little bit old to um to take to the piece himself but they definitely still have accommodation there and it's still used by the relatives yeah, cool. Now, Jim, I think you're going to be uh, saying something more recent, but tell us, make us jealous. When did you uh, ski last? When did I ski last? Well, I actually I checked Strava in um, to 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 find out, and it was on the twenty twenty fourth of April. Um, I went uh, on my final ski tour of the season. Um, it was a repeat a repeat tour because halfway up the first time, uh, my friend's binding broke. Um, so uh, I kind of had to help him down. So we, we returned and I remember it quite nice. It was a really sunny day. The snow was a bit slushy and a bit slow, um, but it was uh, almost fresh. I think it kind of rained slash snowed the day before. Um, we toured up for uh, about the hours and uh, had a nice picnic on the top. On the way down, I was looking after my friend's dog because he was away. And this dog's a very dedicated dog when we go touring um, and doesn't like to leave my side. And to the point where it was, it runs in front uh, too much. And eventually the inevitable happened and it took me out uh, <laughs> on my way down. Right. I mean, that sounds brilliant in all respects. I think I remember seeing some photos uh, of that. 24th of April, there was snow until quite late. Were you tempted to try a bit of, you know, May ski, ski touring as well? I, I was tempted. Um, I couldn't persuade anyone to go with me. Um, I nearly um, when you know, when um, uh, La Balm opened uh, for a for a weekend and yep. nearly went touring then because I was sulking because I didn't get a, a free ticket. Um, <laughs> but do you know, what? I instead I've just been climbing a lot. That's um, I, I just switched my obsessions. I wanted to go skiing a lot, but I decided I'm just going to get into uh, it back into climbing. So I did that instead. 
Right. Okay. Well, I mean, there's so much to do in the Alps, and we're going to find out a little bit more about that uh, later. I was actually hoping to have uh, reported about uh, skiing in this podcast because I was out in Zermatt uh, last week. But um, unfortunately, the day that I was there, the lifts were closed. But I did do this little report for uh, In the Snow magazine, and I'll just drop that in now. Hi there. This is uh, Ian Martin from the Ski Podcast reporting from Zermatt. I'm at the uh, Matterhorn Glacier Paradise. And uh, normally this would be open for summer skiing, which is the reason that I came here today. I had planned to come up, sneak in a little bit of uh, summer skiing uh, on the glacier, which I did last year uh, in July. And, you know, some really good skiing here on the uh, glacier. It's quite a big descent. Uh, mainly race teams uh, normally here, but you get recreational skiers as well. And you can obviously come over from the uh, Chavinia side as well and ski here. Um, but unfortunately, just the nature of these things, today the air is closed. And I'm going to spin round and you'll see kind of why it's basically a complete whiteout out there. The visibility is, well, up here I can probably see 50 metres in front of me, but on the slope without much to define it, it'd be a bit more difficult. I just spoke to one of the pistas who told me that the problem was last uh, night, they wouldn't, uh, this morning, they couldn't even open the tea bar here because you, it, there were low temperatures that went down to minus 10 and we've had all this precipitation and you've probably seen about the uh, floods uh, that have been going on in Germany and around Europe. Well, that same weather cycle has come here through the Swiss Alps as well. And while there's been a lot of snow, it's also been uh, a, a lot of precipitation, very cold, and the tea bar had actually frozen uh, overnight. It would, they couldn't get it to operate at all this morning. According to the piste, it's a shame because... Uh, there was fresh powder going down on the uh, on the runs this morning, but uh, no one was able to uh, do them. And you've got to get here early in the morning if you want to ski. Right now it's 11 o'clock uh, Central European time. And that's really too late. All the action is over by this point. If you want to ski on the summer glaciers here in Zermatt or maybe in Sasfe, you need to be getting up onto the mountain nice and early. I mean, the racers are going up at uh, 6 a.m., if not earlier. But uh, recreational skiers are not al allowed to go up a little bit later on. By now, he told me the snow's a bit soft. It's quite wet, humid up here. It's not raining. There's a little bit of snow drifting around. But the reason he said all this fog is in the air is because it's so uh, humid just now. So, you know, the conditions would be good. And typically it's going to be open tomorrow, according to him. But, uh, you know, as you might have heard behind me, there's some kids having a good time. They've been making uh, snowmen and just playing around in the snow uh, here. And I came up on the uh, the Maton Glacier Paradise lift, and that lift is absolutely unbelievable. If you haven't tried it yet, you really should uh, have a go. Just like leather seats, it's so comfortable, it's so smooth. It takes about half an hour to get up here from uh, Zermatt itself. So, sadly... I can't report that I've been skiing, which I was really hoping to. But if you have missed out on your ski season, which um, most of us has, although Switzerland, uh, in Switzerland, the lifts were open uh, in the winter, at least uh, maybe you'll get to see a little bit of snow 
in a uh, in a ski resort here and maybe that will i don't know lift your spirits uh, so that we can all come back here and enjoy it next winter so i mentioned trevinia just then and a friend of the show uh, dave burrows was a little more lucky than me and he sent us this uh, snow report from trevinia Hello Ian, hello listeners, hope you're all doing well. It's Dave Burrows here from Snowpro Ski School. Um, I've been up uh, on the Zermatt Glacier uh, for the last couple of weeks uh, running some ski summer camps um, and for the few days that we have managed to get up on the glacier the conditions have been absolutely brilliant. Um, there's loads of new snow up there and uh, the snow is and the glaciers are, are in generally in really really good condition and most of that is due to this kind of quite wild weather system that we've been having going through the Alps for the last two or three weeks it's just been um it's been causing carnage you know the, the lakes out here are, are flooded there's flooded floods all over over europe the lakes are overflowing in switzerland and um and that's meant that the glaciers are receiving quite a lot of fresh snow um and uh, generally everything's been getting uh, getting an absolute soaking it's uh, it's been really quite an odd start to the uh, the summer here in switzerland um Although the days that we were up on the glacier, the conditions were, like I said, an absolutely brilliant condition. The piece of firm, loads of new snow, uh, really, really good condition. Um, I noticed that uh, Sasfe also opened this weekend. Um, the footage and stuff that I've seen from my friends who ski up there uh, are also um, indicating that, that there's plenty of snow on the Sasfe Glacier and it's in really, really good, uh, really good condition as well. So anyone who's getting the chance to ski this week is going to be doing so under some nice blue skies with uh, with plenty of fresh snow and uh, and, and lovely, lovely summer uh, glacial conditions um, to make up for those those lost weeks that some of those kind of athletes and uh, and people on training camps will have had um, in uh, in the last few weeks. Um, in terms of uh, access to the glacier, um, the rules have changed slightly in Switzerland, so there's no outdoor mask mandate anymore. So when you're queuing up for the lift and stuff like that, you don't have to worry about all that sort of stuff. It's just in the enclosed helicabines on the way up uh, on both sides. Um, you would have to wear a mask, so it's masking public spaces indoors, but outdoors and lift queues and stuff, it's, it's, it's business as usual. Um, hope that helps uh, and i hope that some of your listeners get a chance to uh take part in some summer skiing and um keep up your great work with the podcast uh, you're doing a great job as always see you soon so dave was on the uh, trevinia side he skied in uh, zermatt as well although he was affected by the weather uh, now we don't have katie with us today for the battle face uh, travel update she's uh, over in majorca at the moment but there have been a few changes and obviously it's so dynamic it's changing the whole time um, I was out in the uh, in the Alps last week in Switzerland. I came back through France, and as it was, I came back on Sunday, so I wouldn't have been able to get away with the uh, the no quarantine uh, sort of thing. I did look at changing all of my travel details to come back on the Monday, just as well I didn't, because France is now Amber Plus or whatever the the, the latest name for it is, and that means double vaccinated people still have to quarantine and that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm on day four, I think. I've got my day five test for release uh, tomorrow. Uh, all my tests so far have come in negative, which is good. Um, but it's slightly, well, it's it's confusing and irritating and a disaster for the travel industry. Cathy, uh, uh, I think you've just been to Ibiza, was it? Were you in the Belize yeah. Islands? 
I was in the Balearic Islands. I had a few days with one of my great girlfriends who lives out there. And then I went and joined a 50th birthday party in Ibiza. So I had the chilled bit first and then the full on party bit second. And while I was there, the Balearics were classed as green and they changed to amber. But luckily I am double vaccinated, so I could claim to come back in. But I have to say, I work in the travel industry and I thought the whole process and the form filling in and the testing was extremely confusing if you were a customer. Um, I struggled with it, but I've done my day two test yesterday and I've got to find some random lab in the middle of Brighton to drop it off in today. Oh, is it a Randox test? It is a Randox test. Well, I did the same one as well, actually. And interesting that you did that because I chose that one because it gave me the opportunity to leave the house because you take it along and drop it off at a clinic. And uh, off, off, off uh, air, I'll tell you uh, where it is. But in terms of the testing and everything like that, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I spent so much time you know researching and checking and do I need a lateral flow or do I need a PCR and how do I get this and how do I get that and how expensive is this going to be because it's important for me to that, that day five test release works because we've got um, a friend of ours uh, a birthday party the following day in the evening so I looked around really carefully to try and find someone who could guarantee me a 24-hour result uh, for that but it was really confusing and there's a lot of uh, cost you know attached to it uh, as well and the rules change the whole time now hopefully for the ski industry you know the ski season is still quite a long way away but I don't know about you do you feel confident Kathy that we're going to be able to travel normally come the winter? No, I don't think we're going to be traveling normally. Hopefully we will be traveling. But while I was getting very angry and writing to my MP, et cetera, et cetera, about the, the change in the French rules, which I actually believe are totally unfair and the, the, the reasons why they put them in don't really stack up. And I'm trying to get my French colleagues to sort of get very angry on my behalf too. They're really not that interested because they're dealing with their own set of um, total pandemonium over there at the moment in that in order to visit a restaurant or in order to go to a swimming pool, you also need to be double vaccinated or have had a, te a negative test. Um, so getting that in place in the middle of the French school holidays when everybody's off isn't any mean feat either. And from a ski point of view, if those conditions carry on into the winter, we could have a challenge. Yeah, I mean, Jim, you're obviously out in France at the moment. That rule came in the other day. I'm not sure it actually applies to cafes and restaurants yet. It's just museums and sports centres at this stage. Is that right? Uh, I believe it's just um, uh, museums and yeah, cultural places and sport places. Um, I don't think the restaurant one is coming into the end of August. Don't quote me on that because I've given up. If you are a restaurant in a holiday destination, for example, one of our holiday parks, then it's coming in sooner because right. it's a it's not it's not really a museum, but it's um, more of a destination for customers to go. So we've got some that have to be included already in in the first in the first tranche, and of course that could affect our winter operation too. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's so frustrating 
mainly that everything changes the uh, the whole time and there's no consistency, etc. But on the positive side, I guess that if you can work out your way through all the loops, it is possible mm. to uh, to travel. Now, Jim, y- you can travel from France into Switzerland without uh, without a problem, right? Um, I haven't had a problem. <laughs> well, that's good to hear because... Um, oh, no, I did get stopped, actually. I went to Switzerland the other day and they did stop me um, and I forgot to take my passport with me. They didn't ask me for any COVID um, information. They just wanted my passport, which I'd forgotten, and I tried to use my um, carte de jour and they told me it was the wrong identification. I sat there silently for 10 minutes and then he told me to leave. <laughs> right. OK. OK. Well, I mentioned that, you know, um, I've been in Switzerland and you were out there uh, uh, last week. And listener, you probably don't know that you can surf in Switzerland. Um, Jim was out there catching some waves uh, last week. So let's just listen to a, a little bit of audio that he sent me. Um, I just got out of um, the Alaya Wayfall and... I said to someone going in the, in, the, in the water, we were chatting away, and literally all I could say was, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is just amazing. I had no other chat while I was doing it. Um, I mean, I can call as many surf terms as you like. I'm super I'm pumped. Um, I'm absolutely stoked. That was an hour of amazing surf time. Um, and I even got some tips off the back of it, so... I mean, this is an incredible facility. I mean, I'm just really excited. Bye. So, Jim, that was apparently pretty awesome. (laughs) It sounded great. Oh, man, it it was awesome. But when I was um, paddling out and catching waves, I was with a group of, what, 20 of people who was in it. And I was trying to have genuine conversations with as many people as I could because I was really pumped and stoked about it, all those cliches. And all (laughs) I could just keep saying, grinning with a massive smile on my skin, this is awesome, this is amazing, this is awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, apologies and for my lack of. Uh, do you want to do you want to just tell us uh, where you were then? How, you know, how does it's obviously a surf centre? Well, because I'm guessing there are no waves uh, in Switzerland. Uh, you know, where was it and how does it work? Um, I think you. I think you can surf on a few random um, rivers in Switzerland, um, but that's not the point. Um, I was in uh, the lovely town of Sion. Um, uh, it was um, a great week. I was went to Crans Montana to stay in a hotel. It's the first time I've ever been to Crans Montana. Um, and what a cool little place it is. I mean, it's got such a juxtaposition of um, traditional Swiss values with some pretty rad, new, um, young concepts thrown in it. It's a it's a, an interesting place of um, classic and new. Um, and I think. I think they were getting left behind and now it seems to me they're being swept along with this new enthusiasm of youth. And a lot of that appears to be coming from this Alaya Bay, um, Alaya um, uh, marriage that is going on. Do you think that's right? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, regular listeners will remember I went out to Cromontana in December. And while I was out there, I actually interviewed a guy called Adam Bombin, who's the founder of this place that you're talking about, Alaya Chalet. He was telling me about the surf place uh, at the time. But yeah, you know, I think that Cron are really making an effort to uh, ch- to change themselves uh, around. I'll put a link to the interview or to the previous episode in the uh, in the show notes. To, to make it clear, uh, uh, the Alaya Chalet is kind of in Cron or just below Cron Montana itself. That's and then nice. the surf place, which wasn't open when I was uh, out there, is in Sion, which is further down the valley, right? Yeah, so it's about a 20, 25 minute drive. So it's not too far. Um, and you will be able, it's going to be open all winter, uh, um, apart from a few weeks of maintenance when they're shut. So they're going to open at 
open it for the winter and the water's going to be three degrees. So if you're a, <laughs> if you're a hardcore board sport person, you're going to be able to go and surf um, morning or afternoon. I mean, it goes, the waves are pumping from 6 a.m. when um, the guy who owns it goes in for a surf on his own, I think, um, until 11 o'clock at night. So you'll be able to surf, snowboard and ski all in the same day. I mean, that is that is very, very cool to be able to surf, snowboard and ski in, in, in the same day. There's not many places that can say that. Just like I've seen the place that's over in Snowdon or some pictures of the place over in Snowdon. There's a surf dome there. Just how does it work? How do they deliver the waves? Um, well, um, it's actually um, not the same as the Snowdon one. It's exactly okay. the same technology. It's um, uh, wave garden technology. Um, who are the people behind the one in Bristol? Um, and if you want to know how good the waves are, let's put it this way. I, from, I'm from North Devon. I know a lot of surfers. Uh, and they regularly are travelling from Croyd Beach, Woolacoon Bay, where it's some of the UK's best surf, to surf in Bristol for an hour. So um, that's the sort of quality of wave it is. So it's the same technology that they use there. Slightly smaller pool they've got in Sion. Um, in terms of delivering the waves, I do not know. I had an interview, <laughs> I had an interview with Mark, who's an ex-pro surfer, an all-round uh, legend entrepreneur, and he is the, the wave chef, if you like. Um, and he would not tell me his secret recipe. Um, I, I asked him in four separate occasions, <laughs> how did it work? And um, I got fobbed off until I was really direct. I said, oh, I just want to know how it works. <laughs> and he said, it's top secret. The only thing I'll tell you, it's a bit like playing a piano. So I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming that the technology is a bit, um, you know, when you run your finger along a piano, um, it's the only musical skill I could possibly possess. Um, I think... It must be something like that, and the water drops, or something comes along, and that helps generate the wave in the pool. Yeah. Okay. I can. Uh, that's quite a good uh, way of explaining it. I think I understand that. And it, it, will it work for be beginners? <laughs> will it work for beginners as well as you know good surfers? Do they? Do, do you have different um, amplitude of waves at different times? So there's about five different levels of waves um, from beginner um, all the way up to super expert pro. Um, I'm sure they've got a shorter word for it. But that's uh, my description. Yes, yeah, so there's different levels. So you can go in uh, and just be a beginner on a really gentle wave. Um, you can move up to uh, a Malibu or an intermediate wave. And there's um, pro and super pro. So it can go up to like um, a overhead barrel. Well, that sounds amazing. And I think that some people that, you know, that would appeal. The idea that you could do a little bit of surfing out on your uh, ski or snowboard holiday would be uh, would be pretty amazing. So that's the Alaya Bay, which is down in the valley. And then up um, near to Cromontana itself is the Alaya Chalet. And you did some skateboarding uh, there as well. Uh, I think when I was there, that whole skate park, the outdoor area was covered in snow. So you also sent me a little bit of audio for that. So uh, let's have a listen. I'm just uh, taking a break from completely embarrassing myself in a skate park. Um, let me describe it. It's this massive hangar facility. Um, right now, there's uh, a kid going amazing on a scooter, on a um, in uh, a semi-bowl. Further away from me, there's a big uh, pump track with a huge drop-in, which I've done, failed to turn at the end. Um, further round, there's this huge, I'm going to say, three, four-metre um, drop-in ramp onto a 
uh, airbag, which I'm pretty sure I'm not going to try out. Um, there's uh, some kids in wheelchairs um, ripping up the, the mini pipe. Um, I hope they hurry up because that's what I really want to go on. Um, I've dropped in on something. Um, I've got a lot of adrenaline going for me, and basically, I am looking uh, like a complete, complete novice amongst all these amazing kids. I mean, it's, it's a, an insane facility. Next door, there's uh, trampolines where you can practice um, uh, with um, snow, uh, snowboards and skis on, uh, so you can get better in the, in the park for the on the on the. On the on the, uh, on, the, on the skate park in the summer. Um, outside, there's uh, more skating. Uh, for, unfortunately, it's raining, so everyone's inside, which is forcing us to look, forcing me to, to really uh, consider what I'm doing. I'm very self-conscious right now. How did you find the skateboarding then, uh, Jim? Well, you said before that intro, Ian, that Jim has been skateboarding. I mean, that is a, a strong, strong use of the word, been. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. I don't think I've really skateboarded particularly well. Um, it's uh, quite a new thing to me. I wanted to, um, I wanted to use the outdoor track, um, uh, where there was a pump track and a bowl and stuff. That suits my skateboarding style, which basically means I don't leave the ground. Um, I don't do any technical tricks. I just cruise around like I did on my longboard in the pool, uh, in the in the wave shallow. Um, but unfortunately, that was um, rained off um, because the the weather up until Friday when you left Ian. Um, was absolutely appalling. Um, yeah. Now it's now it's amazing again. Um, so we couldn't use the outdoor stuff, which was sad. Um, but we used it. The facility is just unbelievable. I was blown away by it. There is um, a huge, like giant plywood um, indoor area where there's a half bowl, big quarter pipe um, tracks for pumping, um, big airbags, soft landings, mini pipe um, ramps, rails, um, the lot. Um, it was full of young kids um, absolutely ripping uh, on their trostinets, sorry, their scooters, um, their skateboards. Um, and, yeah, we were definitely outaged there. There was lots <laughs> of lot of youth. Next door, there's a trampoline and parkour bit, which I'm yeah. sure you've seen. Uh, and, yeah, outside there's um, endless pump tracks. And it's, an, it's just a, a mind-blowingly good facility. Yeah, I mean, when I was there in December, I looked at it and thought, oh, my, you know, my kids would absolutely love this, that more the parkour trampoline section. But the place was empty uh, at the time. I think they hadn't opened for the season yet, or it might have been to do with regulations or something. And to, I think it would be so much better to see it vibrant, full of people all in enjoying themselves. It, the energy was incredible there. It was just, um, it was brilliant to see. And it was nice to be a part of it. Um, the kids looked at us like we were just weirdos <laughs> i gave it a yeah. go you know i didn't i didn't shy away cool that's brilliant uh kathy have you ever been to uh Cron montana i have i did my first two seasons in Cron montana did you so, okay yeah back in the real annals of history that was so that's where i got completely bitten by the by the mountain bug right excellent excellent that's a great coincidence and what about surfing have you ever been surfing i had i have tried to surf um i wouldn't say that i was spectacularly um skilled at it my niece is a surf instructor but I had a holiday in Portugal back in the days when you could have holidays and went on a two-day course and just about managed to get on my board once yeah, that sounds a bit more like my surfing experience. Well, if you fancy going back down memory lane again uh, and you fancy yeah. going down to Cron, you could go surfing at the uh, at the same time. 
Uh, Jim mentioned the rubbish weather which, uh, when I was out in Switzerland last week. It certainly wasn't good. And it's not such a problem if you're surfing, but it's less good if you're trail running, which is why I was out there uh, last week. Uh, regular listeners may recall I'm taking part in the UTMB in August. And with the lack of any big hills in Brighton, I decided to go to the Swiss Alps. Now, this isn't the trail running podcast, so I'm not going to go into it in any huge detail. But I had four days running. I went from Sierre, which is just along the valley, uh, literally at the bottom of the hill from Cromontana, up the opposite side to Zinal. And Jim, I think you reported you went out to Grements a, few, a couple of years ago, didn't you? Yeah, I'm skiing Grements and Zinal. Amazing. Yeah, well, I was running around the sides of the mountain over there. <laughs> it's a very steep mountain. Yes, uh, there were. I mean, it was steep, but that's part of what I was looking to do to get some uh, to get some altitude. And uh, there's actually a trail running route called the Via Valais, which goes from Verbier to Zermatt over nine days. So I, I worked out I could do a couple of them once I got up to Zinal. And stage six was from Zinal to a place called the Turkman Hut, which is in the, the next valley along. That's the valley between uh, uh, Zinal Grements and the, and the kind of uh, uh, Zermatt Valley. And as I went up uh, across the col, it was about 2,800 metres. And there was snow. It had snowed overnight. It snowed down to 2,500 metres. I don't know what snow you had uh, in La Clusa last week. Was it snowing that low? Well, I was, it was, I was in Switzerland then. Um, <laughs> right. it was, um, I couldn't, I there was nothing on the top. It was quite light, wasn't it? But I remember um, we came round um, the, the Chamonix Valley um, and looked up at Mont Blanc and there was evidence of, you know, there was low, fresh snow on those mountains. It seemed that there was more in this area on that side of the mountain or whatever, because getting over the top of that first coal, you know, wasn't so bad. The path was very clear. And just when I went down the, on the other side, it wasn't such an issue. And I stayed at the Turkman Hut, uh, which is a refuge at two and a half thousand uh, metres. It's so good staying that high up on the mountain overnight. And while I was there, I chatted to the guardian, the guy who kind of manages the hut, a guy called uh, Freddie Sharig. And uh, you can listen to our chat here. So I'm here with uh, Freddie Cherik, who is the guardian, I guess is the term, for the uh, Turkman uh, hut, which is uh, here it's a valley between the Val d'Anevière and the kind of Zermatt Valley. What's this valley called? It's the Turmental Valley. It's uh, it's not so big like that Zermatt or, or yeah. the Zinaltal. Much quieter. And, you know, one of the reasons, um, you know, I loved it yesterday because it was so quiet on the trail. There really weren't many people around uh, at all. And this refuge here is uh, above 2,000, 2,500 metres. What's the exact altitude where we are? It's 2,519 metres. Yeah, it's it's pretty high and it was a fair walk, but there are a few people here who are going to be going higher. And you're open in summer, for me, for trail walkers and hikers and mountaineers now, but you're also open in the winter season as well. Yes, the winter we open at middle of March until end of April. And the people who are coming here then are mainly ski tourers? Only yeah, so they would ski tour up from the all the way from the valley and then go on the different peaks here. Yes, or they come across from the track we have. Right. Okay. There's a there's a track that goes from valley to valley. Yes. How many people might you have here in winter? In winter time, we have between six hundred and thousand people. Okay, across the winter, and how many people can you take at one time here? That depends. Now in the COVID time, we have 
50 around 50 people and uh, normally we have 70 between 70 and 80 people right i mean it's it's a, a very good use of space you have uh, the room i'm in has uh, kind of quadruple bunk beds you have four beds on one layer and then four yeah. beds above and then there's another layer up above that as yeah. well i think yeah. i didn't even go up there and have a look at that it's like uh it's the the huts in, in switzerland in trad traditionally they have uh, they started with a lot of beds and not much room for for the living room or for the uh, where you eat and now that they change and you have more room in the hut, not only a lot of beds. Yeah, well, there's plenty of space. The, uh, the living room space here is great. And last night it was so warm in here as well. That was really nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. You had a nice uh, log burner fire uh, going because I'd say that even though it's July, the weather has been pretty poor. Uh, is this unusual, this weather? That's unusual, yeah. We have, uh, we have every, every season we have three, four days, uh, bad weather, but otherwise we have only one or one and a half day bad weather and then it's changing to the good weather. Yeah, well, hopefully it'll change to the, to the good weather yes. soon. Well, this hut has been looked after by your family for three generations now? Yes, that's true. So your grandfather was the first guardian here, was he? Or? Not the grandfather, was the uncle, and right. then my father. Right. And my brother. Right. Now it's me. Excellent. Excellent. So in your family, I mean, you you lived here when you were younger, did you? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. How do you get all the food and the uh, drink and things up here to two and a half thousand meters? Now we have uh, uh, the mostly comes with the helicopter and we have a, a small lift or get the fresh stuff up here. And, but mostly it's with the helicopter. Right, a small lift, like a mini cable car or yes. something. Right, okay. Cable car. Yeah. And, you know, when you don't, and when it's quiet and you don't have guests here, do you go hiking yourself? Are you a, um, a mountain guide or anything like that? Yes, I'm a mountain guide. But mostly it's like this, that when it's good weather, the, the people like to go for hiking. Yeah. And when it's bad weather, nobody's in the hut and nobody likes to go to the mountains. Yeah, I guess that I guess that makes sense. Um, great. And how long have you been guardian here now? Twenty-five years. Twenty-five years, right? Okay, well, that's amazing. Well, my experience here has been really great. I've really uh, enjoyed it. Had a really good night's sleep. You fed me uh, uh, really well, and uh, I'm on the the Via Valley uh, uh, tour, which is a, a hiking tour, which okay. uh, I'm trying to find out about. So, uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Kathy, have you ever stayed in a in a refuge on the mountain overnight? I I have as a, I'm a fledgling ski tourer, but I have done a couple of overnights. Um, yes, in the Three Valleys area. Right. Okay. Was it a rough and ready type of refuge? No. Or, uh... I, do you know, I can't remember the name of it now because um, I wasn't expecting you to ask me about ski touring. <laughs> but it was one of one of the ones that in the summer has a jacuzzi outside. Oh, that that sounds very <laughs> different from the quadruple bunk bedroom that I was in. It was it was a quadruple bunk bedroom, but it does have um, quite nice facilities. It's got showers as well, not yeah, in the room, I, but it did have showers. And uh, Jim, have you ever stayed in a refuge? I have not, but I believe you have to get up very early to get um, all the boiled eggs before the Americans eat them. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, there were so few people in in uh, the refuge I was in that wasn't an issue. I think it can take seventy in normal times and fifty uh, in in COVID times, but there are only a dozen of us there, and none of them were Americans. Uh, so in that instance, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, previously I stayed in a, a refuge. Uh, the last time was when I went to Morocco and went ski touring in Morocco. And I'll stick a link to that in the uh, show notes. That one was actually at three and a half thousand meters, I think, maybe 3000 meters. And when you start to get higher, sleeping at night can be an issue. I didn't have any problem sleeping uh, at the Turkman hut. Uh, and the following day, um, just tell you about what happened on stage seven of the Via Velle. You know, it had snowed a couple of days before and it snowed uh, that night as well. So I started at two and a half thousand and I went up to a pass that was at three and a half thousand to go down into the Zermatt Valley. And when I got to the top, firstly, it was pretty hard getting up there. Like there were drifts of snow where I was sinking into the snow to start off with like ankle deep and then knee deep and then thigh deep. And I was finding it hard to follow the path, but there were these little cairns of stones that people had uh, put in place. And and I kept going and I got to the top thinking, thank God for that. You know, I've got the top now. I can go down uh, uh, over the other side. I've reached the summit, 3,300 meters. And, uh, uh, sadly, I've, or sensibly, I've made a decision I'm going to turn around. You can perhaps see the, uh, the marker there, and there's a steel rope, which you would normally go down, and down there you might be able to see some ladders. But the cornice is built up on the ridge there, and I sort of tried to dig out the chain, but it's just too deep, and it, it doesn't look safe. So, having made it all the way up here, I'm now going to have to go back. But it's the right decision. You know, it's very, very unusual conditions for July. Uh, but there you go, let's turn around. And at the top, there was this massive cornice of snow that had built up, this big wind lip. And the descent on the other side, the first part of it, involves like a chain and a ladder. And that was completely buried. And I had a really kind of close look at it. And I tried to dig out the uh, chain uh, a little bit. And I just decided that this was a really sketchy, really bad idea. And I had to turn around and go back down to the Turtman hut. So I didn't even uh, get to finish that stage. But it was a, I think, one of the more sensible uh, decisions I've made. It's not often I've been kind of in the high mountain like that and and felt sort of at risk i, re- I remember a couple of times uh, i've been to la grave and the, you know there are a couple of places in the in la grave where the guide tells you look this is a no fall zone you know and that concentrates your mind when you're in that kind of situation and i kind of got to the top there and i just thought you know this is this is just a bad idea so Sadly, I had to go back down. I didn't get to finish that. I went round to Zermatt in the end by going down to the valley. I hitched a ride from a couple of people, which was good fun. I got to Zermatt. And then, of course, the place wasn't open, as we heard uh, earlier. So a frustrating kind of trip. But I really still enjoyed it so much. Just being in the mountains again, even though it was quite surprising to have loads of snow in, uh, in July you know, very unusual because this was that low pressure system that had caused all the flooding in Germany, just delivering a lot of snow, maybe not so much as you're saying in other areas, but in that area, 
you know, a very unusual amount of snow. Because when I talked to Freddie, the, the guardian of the hut, he said to me, oh, yeah, it'll be fine to go up there. You know, there might be a bit of snow at the top. And this is a guy who's lived there for years. He seemed to think it was going to be all right. So it wasn't. So there you go. Interesting, interesting uh, outing and not one that I necessarily want to uh, uh, repeat. But I, I do want to get out into the uh, Alps uh, again. And we you know with next season in mind, we touched on it. Um, Kathy, you work for Pierre and Vacances. I wanted to uh, ask you about a couple of kind of changes and trends in the industry. Um, I wondered whether you think that we're going to see an even more um, developed interest in self-catering apartments this winter. Um, you know, we sh- with the decline of chalets because of the difficulties of employing people and the, the kind of COVID issues, are we going to see even more self-catering? I think that's definitely the case, but it, it, it's relatively nuanced. It isn't just a case of all the major tour operators switching their capacity off from uh, catered chalets and saying, Cathy, come along, we'll have lots more of your apartments. As the salesperson, that would make my life very easy if they did, but it's... Um, Sadly, not quite as straightforward as that, because all those beds that people have been sleeping in the chalets, they're still there. Um, so they'll they'll still be operated as holiday accommodation. It just won't be on the traditional catered chalet basis that we're so used to. And it does mean that other nationalities, of which there are plenty, may be attracted to, to staying in those kind of beds as well. Um, so I think what we'll see in the high season those and and I'm talking about the high season of the the resorts not just the high season from the the UK's point of view i.e the whole of February this year there's some strange holidays going around Christmas and New Year because of the Christmas falls on a Saturday so the first week of January is also a high week uh, a peak week as well well it is for us so the Belgians and the Russians are on holiday so during those weeks there'll be plenty of demand for the, those big chalets and it's the chalet owners who's who's had to adapt because the tour operators are no longer wanting to take um, a commitment in those kind of places. So they're now finding their way onto the market through lots of different routes. Airbnb is obviously one. And Pierre and Vacances Group have also entered that market Um as a, an alternative. So if there are chalet owners out there through our Maver home brand, um, we're now able to offer all of the operational services that we can or and traditionally have done in the Alps through making sure you get keys and um, and also linen, etc. Right. So that's a that's a way that um, PMV or, or the whole business has has kind of flexed as a response to Airbnb, delivering more services to owners. Absolutely. For sure. And you, you mentioned about, you know, chalets still going to be there. Maybe they're not going to be catered. I mean, we've we've touched on this before, but it's been covered quite a lot in the uh, in the press recently. There's an organization called Seasonal Businesses in Travel who are trying to lobby uh, for British workers to be allowed to go out to the Alps. But I've seen that there are a lot of chalet operators who are advertising exclusively for EU staff at the moment. And they're they're not even going to be offering uh, the opportunity to try and maybe there's there's some hoops that you need to go through to allow you to employ British staff. I'm thinking that probably doesn't affect uh, you at PMV, but have you, you know, come across this as well? 
I have. Um, I did meet up with a few of our uh, chalet operator colleagues, not really by accident, but we all joined in the industry day of travel where we went to Westminster a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I was able to have a face to face catch up, which was really, really nice. And, yeah, the, the loops are the loops are quite difficult because you can offer a job to a British based customer as long as it's been advertised to France first. However, um, the French say that it's too early now to start the advertising. You can't start that until September, which pushes the whole process back to October, which, as we know, a lot of the, the kids that work in chalets are either pre or post university. Um, and by October, it's getting a little bit late to start your recruitment there. So that's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, both Jim and I used to work uh, at Natives and we know that recruitment cycle pretty well. You know, my recollection is that, uh, yeah, October is the late market. If you're looking for him to get a job, it used to be that all the best jobs are gone by then. Uh, whereas now we're saying that the, the jobs haven't even started to be advertised if they are trying to get British staff. Yes, well, if you're lucky enough to have a, an Irish or an EU passport, then obviously you're probably going to get the best choice of jobs, which, which seems a little bit unfair, to be honest. Yeah. Here's, a, here's another interesting thing about it, though. Um, I've spoken to a selection of people who are these magic European passport holders, and they uh, are, are um, applying for jobs and have obviously been incredibly successful. And many of them hold multiple job offers and okay. will, will be choosing which job they take towards the season. Yeah, so there's there's something else in the, in the works then for employers who who knows whether they're going to uh, be able to recruit their full workforce even if they've got accepted offers. That's quite that's quite interesting. That although you, go on, there's an, there's an there's another point as well is that uh, staff working in France are now going to have to be double vaccinated um, in in a bid to sort of make sure that customers are safe. Obviously, I would have imagined that by the winter, most young people will have had the, the opportunity to be, to be double vaccinated, but they will have to. Right. OK. And that that would extend to British tour operators uh, as well, because these days everybody is registered in France as a business. I I haven't seen the legislation on it, but if they're insisting that French workers have to be double vaccinated, indeed, we've all had the memo through work. I can't believe that um, you'll be excluded if you're a different nationality. Yeah, I mean, this is the interesting crossover between Brexit and and COVID when uh, they come together. Uh, 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 the biggest challenge uh, I think the British market has uh, has faced. We we did talk about Brexit uh, a lot, and it kind of got forgotten uh, in COVID, and now it's uh, now it's coming back again. Um, in terms of holidays, I know we touched on this earlier, but uh, you know, Jim, you're involved in providing. You know, accommodation as well. You you uh, take in or in a normal season would take in British guests. Do you think that this season will be, let's say, relatively normal? British people will be able to travel to the Alps and take ski holidays. I mean, if I knew that, Ian, um, I'd be a very rich man, um, or I would potentially be a very rich man. Um, I don't know. I genuinely don't know because every time you think it's being resolved, it, it changes. Like we all thought this summer was going to go pretty smoothly didn't we um i i couldn't i couldn't tell you i think 
the domestic market in France will be here and will be really buoyant. Um, I think, you know, no one's making sales. I think that says a lot. Yeah, although you say no one's making sales. I mean, one of the clients I work with is uh, Liski, and they are 78% sold now, I think, for this winter. Now, part of that is because people have rolled over uh, their holidays that were cancelled from previous years. But it's still exceptionally high for this time of year, uh, you know, in July. You know, they have some very good early booking deals, but it's the best. What's their cancellation policy? Ooh, check the website. And the, and the, that's and the a big tees, thing. If, it, if you can cancel up to two days before, that's a, that's a big incentive to book, isn't it? I mean, that is a very good point. In relation to travel, we I think we found these days, that, you know, a booking, almost like the jobs that you were talking about. It's an option to travel, an option to take a holiday rather than a booking for a holiday. And uh, the reality may be a little bit diff- different in practice. But, you know, there have been some, some suggestions. I think, Cathy, you were, when you went on the uh, Industry Day of Action, um, Craig from Ski Solutions might have been there. And I think they've been yes. reporting They've been reporting very strong early bookings uh, as well. I, I can um, share, without giving away too many sort of seat, corporate secrets, that the bookings from the UK market are incredibly strong for us. And it isn't just the fact that it's um, people who had a booking for last year who have rolled it over to this year, although that is a substantial part of it. And But the UK market always books early, but this year it's booked even earlier. And I think you're right, it is an option to travel. However, I'm reasonably confident that if they can, they will. Or, because the COVID cancellation terms of most operators, us included, are you can cancel for free if it's a COVID-related reason. It's not you can cancel for free if you've changed your mind and there's no justification for it. Yeah, well, all we're going to do is we'll find out as time passes how it goes. But, you know, certainly a lot of people have have got their uh, bookings in already and maybe there will be fewer chalet holidays. We're coming towards the end now. I'd just like to thank Wayne Hall and Johnny Goldsborough for buying me a coffee. Uh, Also, Simon Ma, he said, uh, I love the ski podcast. Thank you for keeping us hopeful over the last 15 months. Uh, Hopefully you will uh, still be hopeful after this episode and and, uh, enjoy your stickers, Simon. And if you would like some uh, ski podcast stickers for your helmet, skis or phone, then just email the ski podcast at gmail.com with your address and uh, I'll post them out to you for free. And uh, if you do enjoy listening to the ski podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. What sort of coffee is it, Ian? How do you take your coffee? Well, the truth is that I don't drink coffee. I like tea, so I would convert it into tea. <laughs> so all all cuppers would what, be what sort of tea? Just a, a standard British brew. I prefer you... the English breakfast tea with soy milk. With soy milk, oh, yeah. Right. Recent decision. Uh, also, if you've got any uh, questions or suggestions uh, for the show, uh, the email address again is the ski podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, and if you do enjoy the show, let us know. Send us an email or contact us via social media. Uh, you can follow uh, all of my travels at Skipedia and the latest on the show at the Ski Podcast, uh, also on Instagram. Uh, and I'd like to thank my special guests today, Jim and Cathy. Uh, thank you for your time, Jim. My pleasure. Thank you, Cathy. Thank you. And as always, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for their support. And finally, thank you, listener, for sharing this time with us. So until next time, goodbye.
Well, the secret is out. I don't actually drink coffee at all, but if you'd like to buy me a cup of tea with soy milk uh, because you've enjoyed this podcast or indeed any of the hundred or so uh, back episodes that you can catch up with, then simply go along to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.